0: Hey everyone, welcome back to A Life of KG. Today I have Will Russell on the show, all the way from Texas. He has a seven figure business, which he tells us how he built and what the tips are to get into seven figures. And he also teaches us his five step launch process. So without further ado, here he is. I'm Demi and I'm Rachel
1: we are two friends who joined forces in 2020 to create Lash and Brow Lab a specialist lash and brow salon in Battersea.
0: Lash and Brow Lab is the home of our combined 10 plus years of expertise where our sole aim is to offer you bespoke top tier treatments that make you feel truly special. Follow
1: us on Instagram at Lash and Brow Lab Clapham.
0: Or check out our website www.lashbrowlab.co.uk Will, welcome to the life of KG. How are you?
1: Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you, Katie. How are you today?
0: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for joining me early in the morning because you're all the way in Texas.
1: My pleasure, yeah. 8 a.m. here right now. So it's, it's bright and early, but it's a good way to kick off the day.
0: Oh, definitely, for sure. So tell everyone, what is your background? Introduce yourself, what do you do currently?
1: Sure, so my name's Will Russell. I currently run, primarily I run a, a launch marketing agency. So we at Russell Marketing, we help startups, early stage entrepreneurs, launch new products, launch new businesses, um, using a, a five-step launch system that, that we created. Prior to this, I've been involved in launches most of my life. My first job was, was focused on launching new websites. Uh, following that, I moved into a space where I was launching and acquiring uh, attendees for events. And then following that, I decided to move into the world of entrepreneurship and, and start my own business. So it wasn't until I decided to, to do my own thing and started working more uh, more clearly on, on with entrepreneurs that I realized most of the work I'd done to date in my career had been launches and I was able to connect those dots. And so taking that launch experience from the media space and then moving into, a nonprofit space and then taking that experience again into the startup space, uh, I provided just a really broad overview of the concepts and the strategies needed for any sort of launch. And fortunately that allowed me to build the business I have now and create uh, a good system around it.
0: I guess there's lots of people that have zero idea about how to launch. So that's where you come in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, how to launch is, is, is such a big question as well, because in my experience, I've just seen very little resources for new entrepreneurs. I mean, perhaps it's the same in the UK, but certainly in the US, when I began launching my business, uh, I've launched a few, but launching any of them, especially the first one, there's just so many questions around operations and the legalities and this, that, and the other. And so, yes, we, you know, someone comes to us and they and they want to launch, and our speciality is essentially acquiring their first customers because we're we're a marketing agency. However, I think all in all, our the partnerships we have and the people we work with, it can be a lot broader than that because there just aren't the resources available for a lot of entrepreneurs to understand even basics like logistics and shipping and payment processing and all sorts of stuff so most entrepreneurs you know we're focused on on the marketing and, and what we're doing from a from an acquisition of sales standpoint but as a consequence of being in this space yeah there's there's quite an array of questions that come our way and and we do our best in guiding people on the steps.
0: Mm. So before you started business did you have guidance on how to do that are your parents entrepreneurs?
1: No it was that that was a challenge you know I remember in my first year I went to a I was invited to 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 be on this uh, kind of like brainstorming or research program which a friend of mine was running and the ultimate question was how can corporations in this case it was a bank called Wells Fargo how can they better support people starting businesses and entrepreneurs and the biggest takeaway from that that whole weekend uh, was there's just no there's no cohesive coherent uh, guidance really you know there's lots of opportunities you can work with coaches or mentors that's certainly one avenue over here in the U.S. there's a number of different programs called like SCORE, for example, where you can kind of get your footing. And then here again in the US, there's lots of local resources, local governments, local towns who who can support you at least with some high level guidance on, okay, what's my step number one? How do I even incorporate a business kind of thing? But by and large, I, I just don't think there's enough of that support out there. And for me, it was do what I can, try what I can, fail miss things and just learn as i go really and i was actually the other day i was reading i was taking some notes on a flight and i went back to the start of that particular notebook and it was it was the first early pages were were notes i was taking to myself when i first started the business and it's, it's just funny looking back on it you know one of the i think one of the pages was when i had a phone call uh, with with an insurance agent on business insurance and, and, and liability insurance and <laughs> the questions I have you know just show a complete ignorance into any of it and that's fine but that it was interesting to look back on that now and see that literally I was just completely winging it like I think many people are and you work out how to do things by making by making mistakes.
0: Mm, you hear about winging it all the time I mean a part of my company is coaching businesses and you get so many people that come to me that go I just feel like I'm winging it I just feel like I'm winging it but there isn't any yeah. rule book is there like we do just learn uh-huh. on the job
1: <laughs> yeah and that's an injury you bring up a very good point I think that's the one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned is exactly what you say there is no rule book it's not you know people who you see as, as very successful entrepreneurs they're not they haven't got some sort of cheat document they haven't got some sort of you know special skill set really that they, they just they're determined they persevere they work hard and they have some sort of belief or passion in something and they work out all those little hurdles they need to get past they don't and that's just the same the same whether it's me or you or I guess even Elon Musk when he was starting you know there was no rule book and we're just we're all just doing our best uh, with the information we have and and just persevering.
0: Mm, Definitely and seeming as you started winging it in business you've done pretty well for yourself because in the five years you've made a seven-figure business so you say there isn't any rule book etc but what's what's helped you get there in business what's your secrets
1: yeah it's a great question because there's so much generic advice out there and it can be hard when you're reading generic advice to apply that to your particular situation but the truth is a lot of that generic advice is true and and things like working hard and persevering and um, kind of accepting failures as a step forward rather than something you should then just drop and forget about Uh, the mentality. I mean, the being comfortable, being uncomfortable, certainly in early entrepreneurship is a big one when it comes to things like finances. So I think, I don't think there is, uh, like we say, a a cheat pad or, or a secret in my case, I got. I think there's always a sprinkling of luck in there, you know. I think, as I said a moment ago, the the career trajectory I had sort of happened all to lead towards this kind of launch uh, concept and this knowledge around launches, and I was able to then transition that into a very specific expertise. Which fortunately, there's not that many companies out there who do what we do, so it wasn't a super competitive space. Uh, I think early on. I did a I did a very good job of identifying what works and what doesn't work. So I even now I track my time a lot. But early on in particular, I tracked a lot of very specific time around kind of my acquisition methods or how I was finding business. And so that at the end of that first six months, first year, I had a real ROI on my time. And I think that was a big deal because you know, certainly early on. I found myself, I did everything, you know, cold emailing, networking events. And within six months of tracking that time and seeing what it delivered, I was able to see, Will, you, you suck at networking events, stop going to networking events, you know. So I think the ability that I had to to track and understand what worked and what didn't work and, that, and just the focus I had on doing that from the get-go really helped push me in the right direction. And if you have that I guess organization and preparedness and like we said before that, like commitment and perseverance then if you keep pushing you're gonna you're gonna end up on the right path and and you're gonna end up surprised and and kind of astonished at yourself at kind of how far you've come and what you've been able to achieve when you look back in hindsight so no secrets just I was just committed. I was determined to get it done. I really wanted the lifestyle of an entrepreneur and, and I made sure that I was just every day doing the things, checking off the list that, that would make it happen. And um, first thing I tried it failed miserably. I tried to create these training courses and that didn't work at all. I sold, I sold one course in about six months. And so I, I, you know, obviously that, that wasn't great, but I transitioned, decided to turn it into more of a service-based business, um, working with individual businesses rather than more of a, a training capacity, and, and it worked out well. So just that perseverance and and willingness to move into things that I wasn't comfortable doing, um, mm-hmm. checking all those boxes just puts you on that right trajectory.
0: Definitely. Would you say that there's... Um anything different in the way that you have to work or the team that you build or anything like that from being six figure business to a seven figure business or is it just the same There you just grew or did you have to implement anything different just to get to the next stage
1: no I do. I do think there's a there's a transition there I think there's a couple of transitions when we think about something like that you know you've got a lot of solopreneurs and they've got their own individual businesses and and Maybe they have a couple of freelancers working with them. And I think when you're working like that, certainly that's how I started. You can get yourself up into the six figure range, maybe low six figures and feel good about that. Once you you want to go to the next level, upper six figures, I do think you have to, at least I had to hire and create an infrastructure that allowed that scale because as a service-based business, there's just only so many hours in the day for individuals. And so making sure that I was able to bring in a team around me who could implement the, the, the client work and the contracts that were being sold. Then I think that takes you up kind of into the higher ranges. And then I think the next step I saw then was operationally. it's be It was really challenging to go uh, to push up from that high six figures into seven figures because I felt that was really the point when I had to build a team with team members focused solely on the internal infrastructure of the business and not on client work or not on sales or not on revenue generating activities. And so having someone who's not you take responsibility for the operations, for how the team is structured uh, for things like internal processes or you know, team onboarding, all these bits and pieces that maybe don't directly generate you revenue and don't directly grow a business, but in order to have a larger successful business, you need to have these pieces in place. Cause I do think, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like once you get into the the higher six figures, that's when things start getting away from you and you can't see everything and control everything. And, and so you have to have the people and, and the infrastructure in place to, ensure everything keeps moving in, in the right direction
0: mm, we definitely found that you, you you do otherwise just lose control but I think you have to be okay with losing control and handing that over to other team members yeah. or people mm-hmm. that are even better than you at what you do so then mm-hmm. you can work on other parts of the business and carry on growing otherwise you, you can't be all things to all people and you can't do all the jobs just yourself
1: it's still a struggle though, right? I mean, I still I still struggle with with that every day. There's a big that is the tipping point also where you have to make a decision, I feel, between quality control and scale, because a consequence of growing, like you say, is you can't control everything. And most entrepreneurs probably want to be in some level of control uh, it's their business it's their baby it's what they've created and so it's a difficult it's a very difficult because just at least my experience by growing and growing a team you're going to start getting criticism because the quality control drops a little bit there's going to be mistakes errors are going to happen processes aren't clear and uh and so that's when you start getting negative feedback in certain areas i think and, and really having to again like I say work on kind of the operational side of the business and make sure every process is really fine-tuned otherwise the more you grow the more people that come on the more issues and errors that are going to occur as you kind of the work moves away from you as the founder
0: Mm, do you ever get to that point I mean you've scaled massively but do you still ever get to that point where you're like I'm done I just want to go back to it just being me
1: (laughs) yeah all the time yeah I never would however because I never would because I, I don't at the purpose the reason I did what I did in setting up a business was because I don't want to be working all the time and I want to have my own schedule. And I mean, I guess you could be an individual consultant and work out a business model that gives you more free time. But generally speaking, if you're on your own, you are responsible for everything from any client, blah, blah, blah. And, and you tend to be the one on call all the time. So that's a reason why I wouldn't go back to being a consultant or, or being an individual freelancer or working on my own. However, I don't know what you're seeing, but this year for us, e-commerce in 2022, it's been a tough year. You know, It's been really tough for a lot of our clients. Um, consumer spending's dropped a lot, obviously there's the economy worries in, in many countries. And so it certainly has, You know, when you look at your payroll and you look at uh, what's going on, one of the most obvious answers is okay. Well, if I just go back to myself, my profit margins increase substantially. But for the long term, uh, that's an, that's a, I think a a quick fix and not really a long term solution for what I want from the business. So I can't see myself doing that, despite the attraction.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love I love the freedom too much.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, having having other people that can support you and. You know, you you've got you've got your business that seems to have uh, your name in it, ep- eponymous, and, and mine is too. And it's just an amazing feeling, I think, to have other people uh, building and representing and supporting and and being part of the force that pushes your your business forward. And uh, I wouldn't want to go back to to just being me because I think it's a really a really cool experience having that team around you pushing in the same direction for something that you you created and you started
0: hmm. question for you as we're talking on this subject we've gone completely off track but that's oh, cool <laughs> really? um do you think then you're born an entrepreneur or do you think you're made an entrepreneur
1: i i certainly think there's some genetic aspect of it you know i think even when I was a kid even when I was a kid I, I hated authority and I never really I wanted to be my own person I wanted to be independent when I was at school actually I was uh taking my football qualification badges to coach and so that I was actually looking at what football coaching uh, career would be like and at that time all my friends you know were were planning their their jobs in a nine to five and my dad was was on the train to London every day and I just knew that that was never for me and so I didn't end up going that football coaching path kind of as a career but I feel from a very early age I knew that I wanted to have my own thing I wanted to be independent and and I think that must be that must be genetic so, there's certainly nurture pieces to it, I would say, uh, like mental fortitude and determination. but but, I do think a big part of it is you're just born wanting to create something, I guess,
0: yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. I think you're you're born in it the way that you are as a natural person, but obviously, you learn still along the way. but um, yeah, interesting. Well-
1: you you started your first business young right you were
0: mm-hmm,
1: 19 so have you ever worked for someone else
0: uh yeah and i lasted 2 weeks
1: okay so you how ha- you had that experience and you were just like no nah, this isn't for me
0: i could not do it there was just it's not that i couldn't deal with someone else telling me what to do but i just always wanted something more and Mm -hmm. my brain just always had ideas and I loved just having these huge visions of what I wanted in business and the only way I could do that was work for myself Mm -hmm. um I also feel that because I had the whole leaving school no qualifications I left school really early I felt that I could only really had two options, work for yourself and fight and learn, Mm. or I'm going to go and stack shelves somewhere in the nicest possible way. Mm
1: -hmm. And that wasn't
0: for me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I didn't really feel that I had an option other than to do something for myself for the lifestyle I wanted. But at the same time, there isn't anything that I'd be like, oh, well, if I did finish school, I'd like to do this. But I truly believe I was naturally born an entrepreneur. I just feel like I'm wired very differently to other people.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I agree.
0: Mm. I do hear you talk about the five step launch system, which I know has helped your clients personally turn over 20 million during one launch. Can you talk us through that step system?
1: Certainly. Yeah. So this is the, this launch system came into existence, I suppose, because it was just really a realization and uh, that oh man i've been doing these launches in one way or another for such a long time now in different careers and and i thought well how how can i bring it together into one clear holistic process and also from a from a service-based business standpoint it can get really customized and um ambiguous with scopes when clients are coming to you or people are asking for different things. so what I really wanted to do in growing the business was to try and productize the service. And so I knew that I had to come up with something that we could present as this is the product, right? This is, this is our expertise all bundled up nicely. And we are essentially selling you the system. Uh, we're just the ones implementing it too, and that's the service side of it. But I wanted to position it like that because otherwise it's really easy to just deviate and, and do a little bit extra for this client, a little bit different for this client and you end up, I mean what you said earlier, doing all things for all people and it doesn't work out like that. So the system kind of came into play and, and, and it's, it was originally it was four steps and now it's now it's five steps and the one we added at the start, is validation. So now we start off every uh, every launch with with a validation period, which is essentially about collecting purchase intent, not just interest, but actual buyer intent around a particular product offer. So if someone comes to us and they want to launch a beauty product, we're going to put that product through a validation period where we're going to collect purchase intent uh, from from the potential customers and also feedback from those potential customers. And with that data, we're in a much stronger position to understand, okay, how to go to market. Because we might see in that phase, big pushback on the price. Or we might see in that phase, lots of customers saying, yeah, cool product, but we need to see, I wanna see it in retailers. I wanna shop in store, not online or something like that. And so we can take that data and information and, and build it into a more meaningful strategy. Now, like six years ago or five years ago, that didn't have to happen because the online space and e-commerce in general was just so it was such a thriving arena that many many people could launch something and and do well because there was so much demand uh, and there was so much growth on Amazon and Shopify and whatnot nowadays I think we've come to a people are tired people have spent you know a couple of years shopping online with everything that's happened and this that and the other and uh, we're almost moving back towards in-person experiences in person experiences in many ways. So it's a different world now. And this validation period implemented uh, or added to the system just goes a long way on making clear that differentiation. You know, a, a water bottle versus a beauty product versus a headphone versus a wallet. These things six years ago could be launched in similar manners, but now, they all require a much more unique approach within that system. So we start with validation, which just gives us enough information about audiences, messaging, pricing and stuff to be confident with our go-to-market strategy. Steps two and steps three of, of the launch system are then audience acquisition and audience engagement. And so for us, that's usually somewhere between two weeks and two months of a period. And it's about acquiring prospective customers. So you've you've validated and you've clarified and you've, you've understood your go-to-market strategy and the data, and then you start implementing it and you're building up an audience around your, your product. Like So again, I think six years ago, people could launch a product and they would see success. Now, there's so much competition. There's so many people doing this that you can't just build something and, and, and everyone comes and sees it and, and buys it. You have to really work on building that that ripple effect, that traction early on in order for it to, to start spreading. So our steps two and steps three, the acquisition and engagement, that's exactly what that is. It's building up an audience, whether it, it's an email list or an SMS list or a Facebook group or subreddit or whatever the, the appropriate platform, we're just compiling and bringing together as many prospective customers as we can we can get uh, and engaging them. So incentivizing them, uh, telling them about the product, telling them about the launch, getting them excited, sharing discounts, maybe sharing kind of one-on-one opportunities with the founders and just really giving them a behind the scenes look. Because at the end of the day, when we launch, we need them to really be on our side and and supporting us. And you can only do that through building that relationship. So after that, steps two and steps three, we've got our our audience, we've got our pre-launch community, everyone's getting excited. So then we can launch and that's step four, which is audience conversion. so that conversion period is basically turning as many of these prospective customers as possible into customers in a very short period of time. So that's mostly gonna be things like ads, email campaigns, SMS campaigns, that kind of thing. And so once we've got over that launch period, which is usually those first couple of days is when we're really pushing hard on conversion of that pre-launch list. Then we move into step five, which is just scale. So usually someone's gonna come to us and they're gonna have a fixed launch period. Maybe it's a 60 day launch period. And so the first couple of days of that launch period, that sales period, we're gonna have this conversion. And then once we've really pushed hard on converting our existing community, we have to go and find more and scale it up and see how far we can go. And so that's when we're implementing scale optimization and with the data we now have, because the product's now launched, the product's now selling, we're gonna have an even better uh, understanding of of where to grow, where to scale, what channels to use and so on. So validation, audience acquisition, audience engagement, audience conversion and scale are the five steps of that system. And by and large, it will take most of our clients somewhere between four and six months to move through that process. And and by and large, uh, it ends up Successful, not always, Um, but the validation and that early testing period, I mean, exists in part to create that go to market strategy, but also, you know, to give the entrepreneur advanced warning if we just don't think this is the right path. And, you know, not every product is going to be successful. And so by doing an early validation period, we can get that data very, very quickly and present that to the entrepreneur very, very quickly and Give them the choice. You know, how do they want to? Do they want to keep moving forward, even though they're seeing kind of acquisition costs that will be crazy high? Uh, we give them that 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 warning, that message. Um, and for some, they're going to step away. Others are going to continue. But the whole idea with that is that we can give them give them a chance to to step back and save money and save time and not invest in six months of a big launch when they could have. You know, we found out after two weeks. Hey, this probably isn't quite the right path right now.
0: Yeah, I bet that can be quite an awkward conversation to have with some of your clients, can't it?
1: It's horrible, and you know it. It's a tough, it's a tough uh, space because every entrepreneur comes in with big dreams, and of course they have to. That you know, we just spoke about how important it is to persevere and be committed. And it's it's funny because there's. You know that's to an extent you know there's only if a product is not going to sell there's no amount of determination I mean let's say within reason that's going to make it sell and so you've got this interesting dichotomy where the entrepreneur is inspired and passionate and determined and really wants to move forward but then you've also got this other and you want that you need that in, in the client but then we also, you've also sometimes got a situation where you need them to be rational and realistic Mm. and understand. And so you you see a lot of entrepreneurship advice, which is just keep keep moving forward, keep swimming, like Dory, keep swimming, keep swimming, keep (laughs) swimming. But you can't keep swimming, you know, like gambler's fallacy, you can't keep swimming until you have no money left, you know? So it is a tough conversation. And I would say it's also tough for us to try and position that kind of statement when we've been working on something for a few weeks and maybe they've been doing it for a few years. You know, they can think, well, who the hell are you to to do that? And obviously we have the credibility, I think, and we have the history and the track record to say, we're a trustworthy team and and you should believe what we're saying, but people are people, you know? And so more often than not, I would say an entrepreneur, if we come to them and we say at the end of validation, hey, this data isn't looking good to us. know we think there needs to be some big changes here here and here this probably isn't something we can work on anymore because we just don't feel that we can get you results Uh, more often than not they will move forward anyway with the same plan of action um and and be unsuccessful Uh, so we know and we feel confident in our analysis in our reporting but there's a very big difference humans aren't always rational and so they don't always look at the data and so, yeah, we are in a position where even though we sometimes think or we know, we feel very confident, we're giving the right advice. We're helping this person or this team. If it's not something they want to hear, they're going to you know, point the finger at us and, and not the data. And that's a difficult position to be in as a service provider, because even by helping people, you end up disappointing them sometimes.
0: Mm, definitely in when it comes to our listeners lots of them will be salon owners those that want to be salon owners they might be launching their own um products in the beauty industry they might be launching a training program and they might not have these like huge budgets so if they were launching a new business or a new idea within that industry what would your advice be to them
1: so, I, I mean, the, the first big piece of advice would be you know, just to make sure that this product is has a good market fit and, and you're pricing it at a price that will sell and just having that early market validation that this is a, a path to pursue and, and invest time and money in. Now, past that, uh, I would say, especially for people with low budgets, I would really think about how you can sell product prior to manufacturing product. So something we see more and more of these days and something most of our clients are doing is some sort of pre-order strategy. So they don't actually have product in hand to to sell. Um, Oftentimes they are pre-selling a future product that's in development or in progress and therefore using that revenue to then produce the product and the product will be provided at a later date And whether that's selling a product at full price, let's say six months before it's actually available, or whether it's maybe taking deposits on that future availability. Either way, that kind of method allows you to start bringing in cash flow and bringing in revenue uh, to, to produce and to continue marketing the product without having to lay out a lot of cash on inventory, for example, too early. So I guess, once you have validated the product if I had a a small budget my next step would be really understanding or thinking through okay how can I start bringing in cash even though the product's not ready yet and how can I create like a cyclical system where I'm only producing product as I'm bringing in cash and that would just reduce my risk and and reduce wasted inventory wasted spend and that kind of thing Mm, yeah
0: great advice Going back to you as a person, as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, how have you personally found building a large business? Are you like obviously you you love that freedom now, but do you still find you're rushed off your feet, or have you got a, have you got a work life balance?
1: So I had a I have a six month old, and so this year <laughs> I've struggled a bit more with with balance um, in general. I think I've done a very good job of creating that balance and so I talked a minute ago about time tracking and I still do it so I can I can look back since the day I started my business and see how much I work every month on on what I'm working on and so that's actually one of my metrics of success so at the end of the year my goal one of my goals is to reduce my work time by 10% a year and so at the end of the year I can see and I was actually looking at this yesterday and I'm gonna going to meet the goal which i was surprised at Uh, but that's a metric of my success and so i'm purposefully creating a schedule creating a structure uh, and forcing myself into that work-life balance now it has been tough this year with a child with a new kid um i feel like i'm not rushed off my feet physically but in my mind i am you know i don't there's not enough space in my mind this year and there's been a lot going on this year. It's been a big year for me. I actually, I released a book. Um, we moved house. We moved to Texas. Uh, we had a kid. So there's been a lot of change and hopefully next year is going to be a bit more settled. Uh, but I do feel this far into the business. I've certainly found myself in a position where I can step back and I'm not working 12 hour days at all. Uh, however, even though I'm not working 12 hours in front of the computer, I think my mind is, is constantly still on, on, on And that's something I haven't quite cracked yet. I do want to get past that <laughs> because I want to have a better, you know, I don't want to be thinking about work all the time, but I've struggled at the moment to, uh, I can take myself away physically, but I've really struggled to take myself away mentally, even now. Mm.
0: Do I don't know if that goes though. Like I, I'm very lucky when it comes to freedom around my work like I've made sure I've created that within my companies we've had my teams etc but I can never switch off like I don't know if there is a skill to that because <laughs> mm-hmm. you just constantly are thinking about growth or what's next or is everything okay or whatever that might be these new ideas that I don't know about you pop up constantly but <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I don't know if there's a skill to turning that off
1: no, there might not be, but I, I guess I feel like it's a, it's a case of turning off what's actually not imperative. And so, there, you know, especially when you have your own business, and especially if you're selling product, there's customer service, right? Customer service is a nightmare. And you're going to be getting people writing you at all times and all hours and this, that, and the other and there, are, especially in the day and age of today, where you can just email back right away, there's a constant urge to, to take action on things like that. And so in the case of responding to a customer service email, for example, maybe that's not what you do personally, but let's say it's 11 o'clock at night, your team's asleep, but you've seen it come in. This is your brand. This is your name. So you could respond to that, you know, uh, and you can be thinking about that. You'd be thinking about, oh, how can I adjust my customer service processes so i don't see this message at 11 p.m at night or whatever and that's important but is that is it imperative you have you you go through that thought process right at that time you know probably not your business isn't going to go bankrupt if you don't respond to someone at 11 p.m at night and and kind of put yourself away and don't think about it on the flip side especially this year things like cash flow yeah we, we have to think about that all the time because if you know, I went through a little period this year of not looking at my my p l because I just didn't want to I wasn't comfortable doing it uh, and that's silly because those are things that you need to to focus on you need to be thinking about all the time uh, in order for your business to succeed so I do there's there are absolutely things that we're never going to turn off we're just not like I, I don't think I'll ever retire for example because I just mm. like the definition of retirement isn't in my DNA, you know, like you, I want my freedom, but I want my work and blah, blah, blah. So it's more a case of, can I improve on not thinking about the things that just don't matter right now? They don't have to be solved right now. Um, someone once said to me, a problem basically is only a problem if in two years time, it will still be a problem. And so I like that. And If something's happening at work or something's happened and and I'm worried about it, I do think in two years time, would this be, is this something I'm still going to be thinking about or what I've forgotten about it? And if, if it's just not something I'll be thinking about in two years, then I try and push it away and don't let myself kind of get dragged into those constant, constant brainstorming and thinking about the business.
0: I'm so glad you reminded me of that because pre-COVID, I always used to say that if yeah. an issue come up, I just go, is this going to affect me in two years time? If not, let it go. If it is, I'll deal with it. And I've literally completely forgot that I used oh, to yeah. do that until yeah. now.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> it, a good, it's a good little strategy.
0: It really, really is. Definitely. And you mentioned your book, John you quickly tell me about your book.
1: Sure. Yeah. it's actually So, uh, launching five, um, So COVID obviously happened and, you know, we talk about removing ourselves from business. We talk about giving ourselves freedom. Uh, Something with a service-based business is it's based on human power and uh, that includes me. So I wanted to, as most entrepreneurs, get my fingers in a few different areas and, and start creating products, start creating other income opportunities. So COVID happened. Uh, we had obviously lots of time in ho- at home on our own, and uh, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest pain points I see every day is just the number of people that will reach out to us who just they don't have big budgets, and you know we have a team of I guess maybe twelve now, and just simply to have a team you have to you have to increase your costs, you know, because you have payroll, you have to, and so it's a tough one. So when people come to us and say, well, I've got a couple of thousand pounds and, and that's all I've got and I wanna make this work. That's not, they, they can't work with someone like us with that. And so I wanted to make sure there were better resources. You know, we talk about resources at the start. This is, this book's supposed to be a bit like a recipe book really. So anyone can take it and move through the five-step system that we use with our clients just on their own and, and do it themselves. And so it's trying to tap into a market of people who don't have the budgets or the, the investment support or to, to, to work with someone like us, and instead want to want to do it themselves. So yeah, the book launch in five uh, came out a month ago actually, November uh, November eighth, and is 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 available on on Amazon and whatnot and on our website. And it was a great experience. Yeah, it, it was a long experience. It was a hard it was a hard learning curve uh, working in the publishing industry with people. But I mean, you're you're obviously you know ambitious, and to have something like that you know done and checklist and 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 done is um is a pretty cool thing.
0: Yeah, and that is a pretty fat book you've got right there. <laughs>
1: it's, well, you know, I wrote it, and it was thirty five thousand words, and then I try and get a publisher, and they all say no, no, it has to be minimum fifty thousand words. So I had to fluff it out. Um, But yeah, it's very easy to read, very digestible. It's certainly, it's got a good chunk of content there, a good number of pages, but it's not a book that uh, you need to read the whole thing. You know, you can definitely pop in and read certain sections um, depending on what stage you are of your business. So uh, obviously I speak for myself, but I highly highly recommend it to anyone thinking about launching a business or with any idea that they want to take that next step and they're not sure what it is. I think this book can provide a, a really affordable, easy way to start making those steps.
0: We'll add the link in the show notes so people can go and check out that. Thank for sure. you. Um, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you?
1: Sure, so you, you'll find me on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, just Will Russell uh, or Russell Marketing, the company. Uh, from a website standpoint, russellmarketing.co is our website. You can take a peek at that. You'll find a book on there. Um, you'll also find the links to the non-profit foundation that we also work with there uh, which helps early stage nonprofits. and so yeah or you can feel free anyone's always welcome to to email me my email is will at russellmarketing.co and i always respond so whether it's you've got individual questions or whether you just want to take a look at what we're up to um, our website my email address would be great places to do that
0: amazing it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you for sharing everything you've shared with us I'm sure lots of people are going to take a lot from this episode. So thank you.
1: Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Are you a trainer with a salon or an academy and would love to grow with government funding, but just need some help and support? Or well, maybe you're somebody that would like to start your own academy or even just train. Get in touch today with TMB to help you on this journey. See our link on in the show notes.